there is balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Psalm 11, ESV. All right. Hey, welcome. Welcome, world. World, you have nothing to do but to listen to this podcast. I am not sorry. Others might be, but I am not. <laughs> Are you in quarantine too over there in uh, St. Louis, Brian? As of right now, I am not. But, as, but by the time this podcast airs, I might be. It's very, you just never very know potential these days. Never know these days. No, there's actually a uh, there's actually a, a, a rumor that is floating around uh, that I've heard from multiple sources that would probably know that. Right now it is Saturday, tomorrow it is Sunday, and the order is probably going to come sometime tomorrow um, for the quarantine. And and, uh, I think it's up to the individual states to decide whether or not restaurants are considered essential. I think technically they are considered essential, but a state government can say, we are also demanding that you shut down restaurants. So I don't know. Well, the Discern website, uh, which I always turn to, it says that the top National Guard general says nationwide quarantine rumors not true. Yeah, that's nationwide. That's not Missouri-wide. I've actually read the same oh. article. <laughs> okay. okay. I, da- All I right. downloaded the Discern app. By the way, if you want to stay on top of the Christian perspective on the coronavirus outbreak and also daily memes... You need to download the Discern app. It's D-I-S-R-N. Adam Ford does not pay us, but he should because we plug him (laughs) every episode. For those of you not aware, uh, for some reason, uh, Adam Ford created the Babylon Bee, then decided to get into real news instead of mocking it and uh, started the Discern uh, website, oh, about a year ago, maybe? 
Yeah, it was called like the Christian News Daily or something like that at first, but it morphed into discern. Yeah, it's kind of morphed into discern. Um, yeah, anyway, so uh, very exciting, but not. Uh, I know yeah. my parents were supposed to travel out to see us a little bit ago, and that unfortunately did not happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to leave the house. Yeah. Yeah, so last week, we, my family, we went to Branson, and uh, there was hey. no, nothing was open. So we stayed in our little cabin and chilled out as a family, which is what we were planning on doing anyway. So it was nice well, and relaxing. Got, yeah, you got your wish anyway. Yeah. So right. we have several points of follow-up here yeah. uh, to get into. First off, I said a couple of episodes ago, John Stott, uh, we could not find his uh, um you know how long when, when he was alive and he actually lived from the 27th of april 1921 until the 27th of july 2011 so he was 90 years old when he died um did, did you pull those dates from the british ago. website because that British definitely how the the brits put their dates yeah, in deference to him, I think this was done. Uh, I actually grabbed it off Wikipedia. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, so we don't know if they're true or not. So a Brit probably, probably edited it. Probably. All right. Um, the next point to follow up. Uh, I was listening back to our episode number nine on mm-hmm. sin. And this one actually is going to have a little bit to do with this one. But mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to make a point. I, I I don't think I made it well enough, but that uh, if I did at all, but it, it's important to remember that sin is not just like the bad things we do, but it comes from the heart. And this was uh, a wonderful rediscovery uh, that the Protestant Reformation uh, made a lot of. And, and like the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, also, you know, Westminster, places like that. You'll, you'll see it referred to our sin and misery, um, mm-hmm. which is talking about um, our sin, but then the misery is like and all the bad stuff that happens because of that particular sin, including yeah. additional sin. Right. Um, and that forms kind of some of the primary doctrine behind, um, behind uh, total depravity from my limited understanding. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the best definitions of sin is the willful disobedience and rejection of God's will for our lives. Um, mm-hmm. So it just comes from, you know, it's, it's what we do on purpose. It's not just the bad things we do, but it's what we do because we reject actively what God's will is for our life. And so it's, yeah. it is the polar opposite of what God wants us to do. And therefore it is they're bad things because God wants good things for us. Yeah. And he wants yeah. obedience. And a lot of his law is specifically designed for us to um, respect life. Like one of the laws was you have to have a fence around your around your roof because they had flat roofs where people would hang out on. And so the fence was designed to keep people from accidentally falling off and dying. So a lot of the law is specifically designed for us to respect one another and for us to love one another and for us to, you know, enjoy one another. And so to willfully disobey God is to ultimately reject his idea for, for life and the sanctity of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Last 
um, for my part of the follow-up, um, this is actually a follow-up on a piece of content that we didn't even air, but... <laughs> and to be More fair, we didn't air did it because air. I think for like three straight minutes you were looking for this particular passage and then we just gave up. So yeah, so you found yeah. it. So now you get to share it. Uh, I did find it. it. It is in Zechariah 3. We were talking about uh, how... Uh, our sin is taken away and that we're covered with Christ's righteousness. And it reminded me of the high priest Joshua being similarly clothed um, in this vision that Zechariah had. Um, And I could not find the reference, but it is Zechariah three. So that's where um, that's where it says in verse four, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So the high priest as representative of the people, Mm -hmm. uh, the sin was taken away. He was clothed in pure vestments. And um, that was uh, in Zechariah 3 and a great example of what we were talking about at the time. Yeah. But we're not talking about it anymore. Yeah. I, I, believe, <laughs> I believe I was telling a just kind of a not a story, but kind of my my thought on uh, imputed righteousness, which is the fancy word for how Christ gives us his righteousness. But mm-hmm. also Christ took our filth. And I, and I likened it mm-hmm. to I'm wearing a filthy cloak and underneath my filthy cloak, I have a filthy body and Christ who has a clean cloak and underneath it has a clean body. He, he swapped, uh, cloaks with me. And so he gave me his clean cloak and took my dirty cloak. And when God looked at me, he saw Christ's clean cloak and forgave me. But when he looked at Christ, he saw my dirty cloak and punished him, poured out his wrath upon him. And uh, I don't remember if I went into this, but furthermore, in this illustration, it's later when I take off Christ's clean cloak, I'm still I'm clean underneath now. And so that's kind of the idea of justification followed by sanctification. And so I think we were talking about that. And I don't remember how much of that got cut. But, yeah, that's what led to yeah. that particular conversation. A uh, lot of it got cut. A lot uh, of it got the, cut. The, the, the whole thing. We only we only but cut, that's okay. we only uh, cut the best parts. We we well, that was a part worth cutting anyway <laughs> all right so i've got some to, uh, i've got some follow-up follow up. yes um so i talked about how uh christian stanfill and lauren daigle both went to andy stanley's church and then i said i've never actually done the research into this i don't know why i have plenty of time so i uh, took my plenty of time uh, and uh looked into it and yes christian stanfill was the worship leader at north point community church sometime uh, in between 2002, 2011, sometime around that time. I didn't get those dates exactly right. Um, not that it is important, but so for um, sometime around then, he was the music minister at North Point Community Church, uh, where Andy Stanley was the pastor. And also Lauren Daigle, um, she's not from uh, Alfreda, Georgia, but she is from Nashville, but she... Uh, made connections with some North Point people and then kind of became a double resident of 
Nashville and Alpharetta working in their ministry for a while. And I think that was really influential in her kind of gaining ground with her early career. Um, so I don't know how much she spent actually going to North Point uh, Community Church during that time, but she had to have at least sat under Andy Stanley's teaching for some of that time, maybe even half of that time. Um, but anyway, Andy Stanley is notoriously known now for having made statements like the uh, Christianity needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament, which is a which is a very antinomian thing to say because the Old Testament is where we get the verbatim law. So if you're rejecting the verbatim law, then you're anti-law, which is what antinomian means. So Christian Stanfill, who is now the worship leader at Passion City Church, which is where Chris Tomlin used to be. Um, so Christian Stanfill and Lauren Daigle both have a foundation of antinomian theology under their belts. And I think sometimes it comes out in their music, not all the time, but that was my point that I was trying to make. And I think that was the last episode. So excellent point. I am not judging Christian Stanfield or Lauren Daigle or calling anyone an antinomian. I want to make that clear. I just want to say that what Andy Stanley has said is like really antinomian leaning. Um, and a lot of people have called him out on it. And so anyone who sits under any sort of, heterodoxical teaching is going to be influenced by it. And uh, I think a lot of Christian Stanfield's music would fit very comfortably in an antinomian environment. Uh, I think Lauren Daigle, uh, it's uh, it's hard to say. I, I don't want to make that, that judgment call on her, um, but she has made some statements that would fit in an antinomian environment as well. Like she just kind of shrugged off some, some very sin oriented questions being like, um, who am I to judge? But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's tricky and frustrating, but anyway, that was my, that was my follow-up. I just wanted to confirm that I did do some research and found that, that that happened. So moving on, I have a statement that I've prepared as an icebreaker. I'm going to just read through this, uh, and try to move on from it pretty quickly because we have a big show ahead of us uh in our main topic we are going to uh we actually i I sat down i came up with 12 songs that i think are really um that really talk about uh sin and jesus in incorrect ways that they really belittle sin ignore sin they belittle jesus and they elevate man um and i think these are kind of archetype songs and there is Absolutely no way we're going to get through 12 songs in one episode. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I plan on getting through three and a half of them in this episode. And then next week, we are going to air part two of episode 11 and get through hopefully four more of those songs. And then I'm just going to leave you to uh, look through the other four and discern for yourself and maybe start a conversation on Slack about what you think about these particular songs. And uh, maybe- I don't think there's ever going to be a way to properly count the number of episodes that we have no 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 there's not our 152 episodes there's going to be more like 438 but we're going to break it up <laughs> over over time in any way but this particular episode uh is 
It's the episode that we've all been waiting for. And by we all, I mean me. This is the episode that <laughs> I started this podcast to record. We are going to go over oceans. We are going to go over reckless love. We are going to go over no longer slaves. And we are going to go over the apocryphal bridge to in Christ alone. And uh, I know these are some of your favorite things. Yes. Yes. I am probably going to get very passionate in this episode. And I, I don't even know how, if you just let me loose and just let me rant about these songs, it'd be like a four hour podcast just on these songs. Oh, so okay, well, without I'll further ado, I'm going to be closely monitoring the time. Doing this for you, the fans. Doing this for me, the fans. Um, Shepherding it well. I just, Get on with the icebreaker. All right, icebreaker. This is a, <laughs> this is a prepared statement. Um, fear is legitimate. There are real things that are reasonable to fear. Ultimately, we need not fear anything because God is sovereign, but we are fallen and we do fear. I plan on doing an episode on fear in the future, but I wanted to take some time and briefly talk about a real concern that is plaguing the world, the coronavirus. We don't know what is going to happen. We don't know if we can protect ourselves or our loved ones from the virus. And we don't know if we can realistically care for ourselves or our loved ones. Um, when, if we, if, or when we do get the virus, this is especially true for the immunocompromised. Uh, I want to say this now because I don't want to downplay or illegitimize real fears. I want to empathize with our brothers and sisters who are paralyzed by fear and I want to remind them of the words from Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. God is in control, and we are not. No amount of social distancing will guarantee that we will stay healthy or survive any illness. God knows our days and works everything out for our good if we are his. Um, I chose that verse in particular, Psalm 56.3, because it legitimizes fear. It says, when I am afraid. It doesn't say, um, it, it doesn't say anything about, you know, I shouldn't be afraid. It says, when I am afraid, it acknowledges that I do fear. And I, I often talk about fear um, in, a, in a negative. Um, and I wanted to, to say, when I talk about fear in a negative I always talk about that in the context of um, saying fear instead of sin, replacing sin in the conversation of sin with fear, distracting ourselves away from sin so that we can talk about fear. Um, ultimately, God is in control, and ultimately, we need not fear, but we do. And uh, I know many of our listeners right now are afraid, and uh, and I want to... Um, I want to let you know that I do not judge you for being afraid. I am afraid. Uh, and, and I know that right now, if Kit were still alive, I would be flipping out. Um, as it is right now, um, I'm not as much, but I do empathize with those who are because I know it is legitimate. Um, and so with that... Let's get in to our main topic. Okay. All right. So uh, 
the topic is we're, we're talking about um, we talked about sin and then we talked about Jesus and I talked about how I believe a lot of modern music belittles sin, belittles the work of Jesus and uh, you know makes light of sin. It misrepresents the gospel. And so I, I wanted to talk about these songs. I think not necessarily do it the worst, but just have done it the done it so well in my perspective that they just really stood out. Um, the also these are like major influential songs that everyone in the evangelical church knows. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is Oceans Where Feet May Fail by Hillsong United. And I'm just going to read through the lyrics and then I'm, uh, we're going to talk about it. It says, uh, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep. My faith will stand and I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you are mine. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail, and fear surrounds me. You've never failed, and you won't start now. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Um, so you are probably very familiar with this song. You've probably heard it before. Talking to you, listener, yeah. not you, Grant. Even though you, Grant, probably also knows <coughs> it. I, I've heard it before. I've heard it yes. one, once or twice. Um, you know, there was a, at one time, I think the CCLI police were arresting any churches that weren't uh, singing this song. And that was a Babylon Bee article. <laughs> just, just just throwing that out there um so this song was until recently the uh the longest running song in the number one spot on billboard on the top christian charts um recently overthrown by lauren daigle um we talked about that and so when this was the record holder i actually reached out to a uh to a songwriting uh, songwriting contest judge, um, and I just I said uh, you know I'm just curious um, what you think of this song, um, and this was this is the response. It says it's in D major, a very emotional key, not as much so as D minor, but it tugs at heartstrings. The production sound is angelic. Air quotes. Uh, there is a lot of reverb. I guess it wouldn't technically be air quotes if it's on a page. Uh, there's a lot of reverb and, quote, suspension. <laughs> and the melody... <laughs> sorry. And the melodies frequently soar. It literally sounds, quote, heavenly. The hook is ridiculous and is a total earworm. It's easy to remember. It's dynamic from pianissimo to forte. It also has different tempos that keep the listener's interest. The lyrics are full of vast, powerful imagery of oceans, seas, the, quote, hugeness of God. And it's not full of the usual Christian cliches. Uh, I responded and I said, uh, I was mostly curious because most contests, uh, most contests value rhyme scheme and having the hook in the title, both of which the song breaks the rules. Uh, do you care to comment? She said, one doesn't always have to, quote, write to the formula. 
doing so can sometimes sap originality and emotion from a song, but it depends upon the song. A song like Oceans is more about emotion, feeling, than formula, which is why it doesn't have Bingo. Yes, which is why it doesn't have to perfectly rhyme or have the title in the hook. Ordinary World by Duran Duran comes to mind. Very loose rhyme scheme, and the title is not the hook. Huge hit. It's about the feeling and the mood. Um, and I think that that is really, really uh, the point. This is someone who who judges songs for a living, uh, who... Um, I mean, this is what this is what she does, and uh, for her to say it's all about the emotion, it's all about the feeling and the mood. Uh, that is exactly what this song is about. It cares so much more about what it uh, what it emotes than it cares about what it says. Um, so, do you have it first before I go into my prepared? response to this <laughs> song uh do you have any comment about that anything that you wanted to say oh well i mean um i think you're gonna have a lot more interesting things to say about this song but i mean this song it really is it, it, before i began to think too much about worship music this song is probably you know a really nice song it's like yeah i can see why churches would want to sing something like this you know Um, and it is popular and it it is nice to the ear. They have a, uh, Bethel worship, uh, is it Bethel? This is a a Hillsong. Yeah, it is Hillsong. I could have sworn that somebody had, that there is an instrumental version of this. There probably is. I'm, I'm sure there is. And I always thought that that was nice. Um, that kind of things. Uh, so anyway, um, Let's hear what you have to say, though. All right. I'm very curious. Um, so I have four points of response to this song. Um, I The first one is more about the scriptural elements to the song. Um, the narrative in the first verse closely follows the narrative of Matthew 14, 29. This is the story of Peter walking on the water. It says, um, he said, come. So Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So, you know, you call me out upon the water, you know, the great unknown where feet may fail. You know, this is, this is what is going on in the narrative of the song. Um, but the chorus strays wildly from Matthew 1430. In Matthew 1430, it says, But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so this is, you know, the classic story. Peter actually walks on the water, but he sees the storm. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks. And uh, Jesus responds, you know, oh, you of little faith. The chorus, though, of this song of oceans declares that I will keep my eyes above the waves and succeed where Peter failed. Uh, Peter was distracted by the storm and took his eyes off of Jesus. But this song declares that I won't make that mistake. This song greatly elevates me to an extremely lofty position, one that doesn't make the same mistakes of one of Jesus' closest friends and students. Do we really, really think that we are going to succeed where Peter failed? Do we really look at Peter and say, <laughs> look at that 
idiot constantly making mistakes and not see ourselves in the same position. Well, what's really interesting about that is that it is saying, yeah, you're putting yourself in Peter, but it's looking to Peter as an example, like a negative example Mm -hmm. um, of what not to do. And uh, it's almost reducing the Bible to like, this is a list of, you know, this is a a storybook and it's going to tell us about heroes and villains and, be like this person and don't be like this other person. Yeah. And that's not what the Bible is at all. It's a, it's not a storybook um, or a list of, of good guys and bad guys. And, you know, Jesus is our, our example. I mean, he is our example, but he's also our savior and it needs to point to that, not point to good example, bad example. And that's it. So you're saying that the moral of the story isn't that everyone has a purpose? I'm saying the moral of the story is that the Bible is not about morals to the story. Good good call. Good call. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that was one of the things that really bothers me about this is that, you know, you know, I will call upon your name and I'll keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine, which is also very romantic language for I am yours and you are mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like not in the Bible. Um, uh, I am yours is definitely in the Bible, but this, you know, my my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine. That's just, it's, it's overly romantic and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it strays from the original narrative. And you got to ask, why are you going to pull from a biblical narrative and then rewrite it as if the biblical narrative wasn't good enough? Uh, that's that's another big reason why. This why do why do people me. write hymns and type one songs uh, to sing in church, Brian? Well, I mean, they they write them to express their their worship in in a new way, like the Bible commands to sing a new song. Um, but I think if you're going to, isn't this the same thing? No, I, I would say in general, like what's going on right here is that he is rewriting a biblical narrative for his favor. And he is bringing glory to himself because he is the one who is succeeding. Instead of talking about all of the things that God does, instead of saying, you know, you know, I, I, see you out on the water and I see your greatness. And while I am afraid you comfort me and, uh, you know, and while, you know, I am in misery, you know, you set me free. You know, the, it's not, it's not about my shortcomings and in Christ's victory over me, which all of that in general is still really weak. Um, weak ideas, you know, it's, it's not, that's not what this song is saying. You know, you could, you could say things very similarly that are better, but this is all about me. This song is all about, you know, I'm walking on water. Look at me guys. I'm walking on water. (laughs) This is bringing me to my next point. And that's the song doesn't mention Jesus at all. It says you, you call me out upon the water. Um, 
But what, where the song kind of airs is in the bridge. It switches to spirit. It says, spirit lead me where my feet, mm-hmm. uh, where my trust is without borders. Let me walk on the waters. Take me deeper where my feet could ever wander. Um, and my faith will be made stronger. Um, by the rules of logic, if you refer to you, you know, if I, if I start my paragraph and I'm saying you, you know, you do this, you, you do that, you, I'm calling upon you, oh spirit, I am calling upon you. Then that, that first time that I actually address by name applies to all of the previous use, which means that by rules of logic, I'm talking to the spirit the entire time. Um, so spirit call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find spirit in the mystery in oceans deep. My faith will stand and I will call upon the spirit's name. And, uh, for I am the spirits and the spirit is mine. And that's just, I, I don't think that's what the songwriter is trying to say. I, I really don't. I'm just saying by the rules of logic, um, what the song is doing, what the song is saying is it is attributing specific acts of Jesus laid out in Matthew four in relation to Peter as the spirit replicating these same actions in relation to me. And so it's just this whole jumbled mess of everything. It, it Because it doesn't mention Jesus, the whole thing is confusing. But confusing is exactly what it is. This is, uh, this is an error known as confusion of the persons of God or the persons of the Trinity. Uh, it is not a major or cardinal error, but what it does is it shows a lack of regard and respect for the Trinity. The songwriter did not take the time and the care to make sure that he was bringing accurate glory to God by taking the time to make sure that we understand which part of the Trinity is being spoken to. It was an oversight, and that oversight just shows that um, they didn't take enough care in specifically in the area of God. So they take a lot of care talking about me and they have an oversight when it comes to talking about God. And uh, that just kind of, it, it trickles down to where the song doesn't bring, it doesn't seek, it doesn't try that hard to bring glory to God, but it, it's really setting me up to be a better Peter. Um, when in reality, I'm not. Right. And it's missing that whole point altogether. It's about, it's not about the moral to the story being, don't be like Peter, be better than Peter. Don't make that same mistake. Uh, but what about sin? I mean, it yeah. kind of, I mean, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, if you look for the song and if you read through the song and you try to figure out, uh, what I'm, you know, what my biggest obstacle to overcome is, it's not sin. The song doesn't mention sin at all. Um, it doesn't mention sin as being a, a reason for needing help. Um, if you look, you will find a little line in verse two that says where feet may fail and fear surrounds me. And that is the most dire situation I find myself in, in this song. Um, 
you know, it, it, the last line of the bridge says in the presence of my savior. So there's an implication that I am needing to be saved from something. And that according to the song, the spirit is my savior. Um, in reality, mm-hmm. Jesus is my savior. So let's just, let's just be fair. Let's say Jesus is my savior. What is Jesus saving me from the fear, the fear that surrounds me? That is what I'm being saved from in this song. Uh, your yep. grace, a victim of your circumstances. I'm, yes, exactly. And that's what fear is. It's my circumstances. I'm afraid of the coronavirus right now. Not greatly, but there's a little bit in there. That's, a, that's my circumstances. You know, there's a fear of my circumstances. There's, um, you know, when I was afraid that my daughter was going to die, which was a viable fear, it was a circumstance. And that ultimately is what fear is. It is, it's circumstantial, whereas sin is embedded um, and so it's your grace abounds in deepest water. Your sovereign hand will be my guide to rescue me from my fear. So I need my, I need your grace to save me from my fear. And, uh, but I'm confident because you've never failed and you won't start now. Um, and so that is what, that's when I get upset about talking about fear because it is clearly in the song fear is replacing sin. I'm not talking about sin. I don't, I need your grace. I need to be saved, but fear is my biggest obstacle. And, um, that is an incredible downplaying of, of the gospel. Um, and you know, the downplay of sin and the disregard for God and the uplifting of me makes the song one that greatly displaces the gospel in favor of self glorification. Jesus is forgotten Sin is ignored, and I am greater than even Peter. And that's my mm. fourth point. Mm. Yeah, that's done. It's scary when you think about it like that. You know, like uh, that's it, yeah. It, it's missing the whole point of that story in Matthew fourteen, yeah, twenty nine. Uh, that narrative. Um, which is, yeah, I mean, it, it does say in there, hey, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, right? Yeah. So couldn't you say uh, maybe the song's just riffing off that? I mean, no. No, you, no, I, I don't think so. Um, because there are times to talk about fear, and this is not one of them. Um, the song Tremble by Mosaic MSC, it, it talks about fear. And I think that is the one song that really talks about fear and doesn't talk about sin that I can really get behind because of the way that it's talked about. Fear in that particular song is not uh, something to be saved from. Um, the in, instead, it, you know, it's talking about how uh, my fears are relieved. You know, how he saves me from my, uh, how he he soothes my fears. Um, but not in a salvific sort of way. And it's talking about how he makes the darkness tremble uh, at his name. He makes the, the, the waves still, he makes the storm cease and he uh, calms my fears. Those are all things that, that, that Jesus does. They're all very true things. And, um, and that, that makes more sense. But in this, it's talking about your grace. It's talking about you're my savior and my biggest hurdle is is fear and that's just that's so counter to the gospel the gospel requires 
and an addressing of sin to be fully satisfied. And, and this, this song just, just doesn't do it. Um, and there are a lot of people who will say, um, who will say that I'm just reading way too much into this, or I'm not being fair, or I'm not talking about the good that's in the song. And, uh, and I say this because people have said that to me before. They, they say that I'm overthinking it, but this, this song is, it's just, it's not a good song. It's about emotionalism. It's about feeling good about myself. It's not about worshiping God. If the song was about worshiping God, then it would praise God for the work that he has done not about the work that I have done. And this song is all about the work that I have done and how cool I look walking on the water. (laughs) And I know you're playing devil's advocate and I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can make the point in my head, you know, that I, I see, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Yeah. We're talking about circumstances there and beginning to seems he cried out, Lord, save me. Um, and we say, you know, well, that's that's true, too. It says, uh, in the presence of my Savior, I mentioned the Savior, but there's no, like, Lord save me moment here right. in the song as yeah. we go through. Absolutely. I think that's something else that's probably important to right. point out, too. And, and, and also something to point out in the, about the Matthew narrative. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. But what does Jesus say about little mm-hmm. faith? Mm-hmm. When Jesus talks about little faith little faith is still a very good thing. You know, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, that's enough to move a mountain. So he's not saying that Peter doesn't have any faith. He's just saying his faith needs to grow. Mm -hmm. And that one day it will grow into a plant so big that birds will nest in it. Something about that. Anyway. Mustard seeds. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so oceans, uh, we move from oceans to, uh, being reckless. Yes. A little bit. Reckless love. Okay. Mm. So mm-hmm. anyone who knows me knows that I don't like this song. Um, <laughs> I knew that you didn't like either one of these songs. That's true. Um, so <laughs> this whole journey started when I wrote, a Facebook post. Actually, technically I wrote a Google document that I had posted the link onto Facebook and I made this Google document commentable so that anybody could go on and comment about what I had said. This song or this, this, this post that I wrote was called reckless love, the catechism. My argument was that modern songs replaced the catechism And so where the catechism was designed for people to teach their children at home about the doctrine of God that was then uh, built upon at church, that I believe that a lot of these modern songs are, have become the catechism because they're played in the home on the radio and in the car, but they're also sung in church. And so that is what people are remembering the most. And that is the doctrine that people are, are using to be foundational. Um, I still believe this and, and I, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I have this podcast, because if people are going to use music to be that foundation, then they need to be able to discern what is good and what is bad. Um, and, uh, in this song, I'm just going to give a spoiler is bad. Um, not that this is not that this song is poorly written. Or not that this song is uh, 
subpar, this is morally bad. Like I am, I am going whole hog and saying, don't, don't sing this song. Uh, this is probably the only song that I will ever say that to that, uh, that I've listened to so far, unless something else comes about that I think is worse. But this song is bad. Um, anyway, show notes. I'm going to post the link to this article in the show notes of this episode. Please read it if you feel like it. It is 6,000 words long or more. Um, it is a closed <laughs> argument. This, this, is, this is very hefty. This, it is a closed argument, and it, this went through several revisions. People posted comments, and I went in and I addressed what people would say. Uh, and it got to the point where it's, it's not a kind article. It's not an open-minded article. Um, it leaves very little room for rebuttal, if any. Most most rebuttals that I've gotten from this particular draft have been, well, your opinion doesn't matter, and stuff like that. Or you just you just can't enjoy a good song. Um, and so anyway, just warning you, it's it's stiff. Um, but uh, you know that said, I, I feel very strongly about about music and I feel very strongly about this song in particular. Um and so let's just let's just get into it. Okay. Um and uh and, and I'll say this now. I'm not gonna go incredibly in depth in my response to this song. It's only about one thousand words. But if you want my full opinion on this song, please read the article. Um and I give a lot of specific quotes and examples. Uh, anyway, without further ado, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, Reckless love of God. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. And then repeat that bridge about 800 times and then go back into the chorus yeah. another couple times. And then, yeah. Anyway, um, this song in a lot of ways is an enigma. There are some very solid theological statements made in this song. There are a lot of scriptural passages referenced. Uh, as a result, many people have seen the good and shrugged off the less good. Specifically, the word <laughs> "reckless." Uh, I, this is a this is a written response, and I have uh, I have a pause there. Anyway, that's why you're laughing. So go ahead. Sorry, yeah, no, read through it. Specifically, the word "reckless." However, the word "reckless" is in no way, shape, or form a valid description of God or His love for us. It is demeaning to God misrepresentative of God and paints a picture of God that cannot actually be God. Therefore, this song creates an inaccurate image of God, which is a second commandment violation 
and it uses his name incorrectly, which is a third commandment violation. Reckless is a uniquely fallen human attribute, and to impute that attribute onto God makes God more human than he is. Um, that's what I have to say about the word reckless. Uh, a lot of people uh, argue, oh yeah, but in Corinthians, uh, Paul says that the foolishness of God is shames the wise or whatever. And it's like, that's in the Corinthians passage, it is not calling God foolish and it is not calling God weak. Uh, Paul uses sarcasm to explain how wise and strong God is. And this song does not do the same thing. Um, that's probably the biggest argument for the word reckless is it's like, it's if the song said, you know, the reckless, the recklessness of God thwarts even the mightiest of men, then that would be something else. That would be, that wouldn't be calling God reckless. That would be calling God mighty. Um, but this song calls God reckless. And just in case you were wondering, Corey Asbury said in an interview that he believes that God quote unquote, the definition of reckless. Uh, I've got that quote in the article. Please go read it. Um, but yeah, he, there's also a video, I believe too. Possibly. I've not seen the video. I've just read the, oh, I thought, the written statement. I thought you linked it to me. The video, time. the video is, uh, another guy named Todd white saying some crazy stuff. That's also referenced in, in this, but, um, yeah, so he believes, Corey Asbury believes that God just recklessly threw himself out there hoping that we would respond. Like that is, yeah. that is basically his words. Um, it's in, the, the full quote is in the article um, as, law, as well as a link to the Facebook quote. Um, so, you know, I'm not just making stuff up. Um, also the, I have the, like the link to the like definition of the word reckless and point out to where he, literally quotes the definition of reckless in his description of God. And so with that, I say God is not reckless. Reckless means that you don't care about the consequences of your actions. Um, but God is selfless. And I like to say that there is a, a vast difference between uh, me jumping in front of a moving bus to push my child out of the way uh, versus me trying to take a selfie as close to the edge of the Grand Canyon as I can. Mm -hmm. Both are putting myself in harm's way. One is doing so with regard for the consequences, trying to save my child. The other is doing so without regard for the consequences, which is um, falling off of the Grand Canyon. And uh, only one of those describes God's love. And it's not. It's not reckless. Um. So that's my first point of this song. I have four points on this one as well. Well, I mean, just to push back a little bit yeah. gently uh, on the word reckless. I mean, is there perhaps another understanding of, of that particular term? Um, Corey Asbury. Uh, th Sorry, that's him, right? Yeah. Corey Asbury. Okay. Of Bethel yeah. music, by the way, this is a Bethel song. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I just had a, had a, um, a question right there. So Corey Asbury, you know, obviously, um, opened his mouth and I don't think he believes this at all, but is there a sense where, um, God is reckless in 
that he does not reckon our sin to us. There he for he is reckless. That is probably the best argument I've ever heard for the use of the word reckless. How... I'm going to read a quick passage from a popular author that I okay. won't bother to name. But the word prodigal does not mean wayward, but according to Merriam-Webster's collegiate dictionary, recklessly spendthrift. It means to spend until you have nothing left. This term is therefore as appropriate for describing the father in the story as his younger son. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his sin against him or demand repayment. This response offended the elder son and most likely the local community. But, uh, and so I'm not trying to necessarily yeah. give Corey Asbury an out because he uh, specifically mentioned this is not what he means. Right. However, I'm trying to think, is there a way that you could look at that where it's not, not quite so awful? Um, and, to me, that's that's what it could be, potentially. That, that is potentially what it could be. I would say the, the, the two biggest issues with, with that are, one, people in general don't understand the word reckless to mean that, and you can't use the song that people are actively singing in church to try to worship God as the time to redefine a word or to, or to veer down um, a kind of almost tangent definition of the word that nobody acknowledges. Um, two, Corey Asbury himself defines God as being reckless. Um, mm. And so if that word reckless was understood by any sort of decent amount of people as to not reckon, then, uh, then I would say that that holds some argument and that's, so a lot of people have said, oh, but words change, definitions change. It's like, yes, they do, well, but this one hasn't yet. And you can't use yeah, the and, song to do that. Um, right. You can't just, like, make it change. Right. You can't just make it change by, by <laughs> you can't just, like, use a word and be like, this is what I mean by it. That's that's called relativism, which is also something that we need to shy away from. We shy away from the idea of relativism because we believe in an absolute God in absolute in truth. absolute truth. Yeah. 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 That's it. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm just going to move on to my, to my next point. Let's just do that. All right. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, so we're, we have already talked about Corey Asbury and his, like his own, his own quote. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, while the song itself doesn't define the third line of verse two in any way. And that line is, uh, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Uh, though that line just kind of says it and goes. Uh, Corey Asbury himself elaborates uh, by saying, his love bankrupted heaven for you. Um, that is what Corey Asbury said in his big long quote. And this references a theology that states that, um, and this is another quote, that Jesus paid such a high price for me on that tree. God determined my value because all of that was my value. Uh, a guy named Todd White uh, said that. What he basically was saying was that the cross didn't just show me my sin. It showed me my worth. 
that Jesus and that heaven was willing to go completely bankrupt to win me back because I was so important. Because people don't pay a price that, that they don't think is, is worth. Like if I think that this car is worth $1,000, I'm not going to pay 5000 for it. I'm only going to pay 1000 because that's how much worth I put on it. But God sent his only son to die for me. So I must be worth heaven to God. And that is a horrendous theology. Uh, just an awful, awful theology that Corey Asbury is quoting. Um, and so when he says, while I felt no worth, what he is meaning and what he's implying uh, through his own theology, and, and you don't get this from the song, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that, is that I still had the worth. I just didn't feel it. I just couldn't see it. But I still had the worth. And so I know that I had the worth because Jesus paid it all for me. Um, and so that, so Jesus opened my eyes to my worth when he paid everything for me. That is what he means. That is his intended, uh, that is his intended message in that line. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. I'm acknowledging that you don't get that from the song in and of itself. You have to do research to get that definition, but, um, it's one of those things. Once you know it, it doesn't go away. Once I see that <laughs> lens, that's how, that's the only way I can view this particular song. And this was a very viral quote. Uh, a lot of people read this. It wasn't just something hidden that you have to dig around for. Um, yeah. And so it's something he probably says in concerts and things like that as well. I mean, this is something that he holds dear. Um, but what that does is it puts me in a position of extreme loft and it puts me in that position of glory. Ultimately, this theology flips the story of the pearl of great price, making God the pearl collector and me the pearl. Uh, in the pearl of great price, there's the pearl collector who, uh, when seeing this pearl of great price, that he couldn't even place a value on it. He sells everything he owns. He sells the rest of his pearl collection so that he can have enough money to buy this one pearl because it is just so great. Um and what this parable is saying is that when we are living our lives and we have these things that we deem valuable, when we, um, when we are, you know, living our lives by our standard and we come in and we meet God and God, uh, reveals himself to us. Uh, if we are truly his, we will give up all of our old lifestyle to repent and, uh, and follow hard after him. Uh, this story is kind of paralleled or, perpendicular in the uh, rich young ruler where God or where Jesus says, um, you know, you've kept all of your commands, but uh, what you need to do is sell all your possessions and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. Um, and so we get that example of someone who's unwilling to give up everything to, to, to purchase the pearl. But in this story, if God is going bankrupt for me, then I must be the pearl. And that is a, 100% reversal of uh, the gospel to say that I am the pearl of great price and that God gave up everything. God paid it all for me. Um, that's, that's getting into heresy territory. But that's not to diminish that God did pay 
a great price to have us, uh, you know, mm-hmm. his his wrath did need satisfied. His wrath and, did need to be satisfied. And while we are still sinners, Christ did die for us. It's true. So I, I get what you're trying to say, and you're right. You know, we shouldn't want to flip the pearl of great price um, around or even the other uh, parable that's right along with it, the the parable of the uh, treasure in the field. Mm-hmm. Because we're not the treasure God yeah. is. And that's, yeah, totally 100% on board there. But um, we can't ignore that there was a price that had to be paid. Sure. And, and it was a very great price. It was a, a, our son, uh, our son, our sin uh, required nothing less than the death of God. Yes. Which is a great price. And and here's a question. What was the price? It was the bride price. Yes. Jesus purchased his bride with his blood. Yes. Are you the bride? Yes. Are you alone the, the church. bride? The church is the bride. Jesus paid it all for us. He did not pay it all. For me, I am not worth anything. I am a piece of the bride. Yes, there's an individual aspect to it, but there's a corporate aspect to it as well. And this song completely ignores the corporate aspect. And I think if you were to replace a lot of these lines, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming for your bride. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming for your bride. It works a lot better than coming after me because me is self-glorification. Bride is this acknowledgement that there is a corporate aspect. And um, I think that's incredibly important in this song in particular. Um, This song is so focused on me. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. We shouldn't just completely ignore that Jesus died for me. It is important that Jesus died for me. But to ignore completely the aspect of the bride, and this song is about that. You know, Jesus paid it all for his bride. But he didn't do it because I felt no worth. I couldn't see my inward worth. I had no worth. It wasn't that I felt no worth. It was while I was unworthy, you paid it all for me. Um, that's what the line should say. When I was unworthy, you paid it all for me. Any worth I have was given to me by Christ. Um, that when Christ died on the cross, I was unworthy. I was unfit to be given anything, but he did so anyway. He paid it all. Um, he gave up his life. He paid the ultimate price, um, to win his bride and to justify sin. And sin is a big part. Sin is a big part. The forgiveness of sin, the justification of sin, the imputing of righteousness, the taking on of my sin is a major part. And you know what? The song doesn't talk about that at all. Yeah. There's no... Yeah, there is no sin. There's no like... uh, Well, I mean, there is when I was your foe. Yeah, but what does that mean? 
Well, from a Christian perspective, we can see it, uh, you know, when we're enemies of God, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Sure. Um, But it's so vague, and it doesn't talk about sin, and it doesn't give any sort of accurate definition. It's just one word. Yeah. And what does still your love fought for me mean? Right. Um. Like, I don't know what way this is going to go, but I'm going to sure fight for you. Yeah, and that's also part of it is he believes that God just threw himself out there in hopes that someone someone out there would, would notice him and, and uh, yeah. come to him. Um, this song is about being sought after, and it's about being rescued by God. However, there is no explanation of what I am being rescued from. Uh, God goes to great lengths to find me and to save me, but I'm not being saved from anything. There's no mention of sin, no mention of fear or anything. Uh, I am labeled as having been God's foe, but with no explanation. My past is downplayed, so my present can be elevated. Whereas if there were more of a balance, at least that would help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he focuses so much time on just being loved by God. And remember, this is this is what we talked about in in a past episode. You know, if you know the love of God is is important, but when you're just focusing on the love of God without a, without the justice of God, that's where you get into the antinomian territory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I ignore my sin and I'm just going to focus on on the love of God to the point where I'm like even misrepresenting what the love of God even looks like, you know, being reckless. Um, where my definition of, of the love of God implies that he doesn't even care. He doesn't even care if I come to him. He's going to love me even if I don't come after him. That is, first of all, not reformed at all. Um, <laughs> it's the opposite of reformed. But it is uh, it, it is just so borderline antinomian uh, in, in that regard. Um it talks about being the foe and that is the closest it gets. But with all of the other language going on, it just, you need something stronger in order to, to catch that. You, you need something more in order to be able to, to argue that, that point as being, um, as being enough. Well, what else do you got on this one? I was going to say that Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment, I've heard of him. Discernment isn't telling right from wrong. It is telling right from almost right. This song is about as almost right as you can get. On the surface, it almost appears to be reformed. Uh, when it talks about, um, it, it talks. About, I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Um, there, there are lines that, that feel almost reformed leaning, but. Uh, but the reformed view of God is that God chose me because he wanted to choose me. No other reason, nothing about me. He just wanted to choose me. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115, three. But Corey's view is that God chose me because God saw some value in me of my own volition. And the God, little G, that is worshipped in this song is not the same God from Psalm 115.3. Uh, I, I don't believe that this song 
worships my God. And, and I truly believe that when people band together to sing this song, God is not glorified. God does not accept that as worship. If anything, it's uh, an, an Uzzah situation that people are just following what their, what their leaders told them to do. And then they are trying to appease God, but they aren't following his way that he outlined correct worship. And, uh, Uzzah paid it all for that mistake. It's almost like he's advocating for the Gnostic idea of like the divine spark. Like Mm -hmm. there's this little bit of goodness in each one of us, you know, this little bit of God in each one of us that if we can just reveal that, you know, the world's going to be a better spot, a better place and, and whatnot. And that obviously that's a Gnostic idea. That's a, um, that, that is not Christianity and it's not what the Bible teaches. No, and Todd White's really big on the whole like little G God, like that we are all little G gods because God creates in his own image and God is God. And so therefore all people that are created are actually little G gods, which is a terrible heresy. Uh... And uh, and if Corey Asbury is following some of Todd White's teaching, he's probably following a lot of Todd White's teaching. And so that's probably some of what is influencing his music. I, I don't know that I'm just saying if, if a little bit of Todd white gets in there, who knows how much of Todd white gets in there. And, um, uh, if he spends too much time with Todd white, then his legs are going to be a little bit longer. That's just, that's just free. <laughs> are you familiar with that at all? No, but I was like, who is this Todd white? And, First of all, he looks kind of like a freaky looking dude. Yeah, he's got the dreadlocks. Yeah, he's 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 fun. What he does, he's a street healer. He goes up to people on the street and he says, "Hey, you got back pain, don't you?" Because who doesn't have back pain? But he goes, "You got back mm. pain, right?" And they're like, "Yeah, I've got back pain." He goes, "You know why? It's because one of your legs is slightly longer than the other." Here, sit down, and I'm going to stretch out your other leg for you. You're going to feel a tingle, and it's going to feel warm. And then when you get up, your legs are going to be the same and your back pain is going to go away. And this is all in Jesus' name. It's all power uh, of suggestion. Okay. It's all power of suggestion. People feel what they're told. What, people often report feeling what people told them they're supposed to feel. And when they get up and they're told that they're supposed to have no back pain, they're going to think they have no back pain. And mind over matter, they don't feel any back pain. And now all of a sudden, they've been healed by this guy and... Uh, and it's it's this miraculous thing, and now they will give him money. Yeah, they're apparently in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, which yeah. is not too far from my house. Um, lifestyle Christianity, it's called. Yeah, and interesting. He's, and he's a uh, close friends with the leaders at Bethel. He, ah. he he goes and speaks there all the time. Yeah, it's a uh, they're 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 ministries intertwine so anyway done with that bethel song you want to hit another one (laughs) sure all right this one another personal favorite of mine no longer slaves by jonathan and melissa helzer of bethel worship so this song says uh you unravel me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. And I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're the sons and the daughters. Let us sing our freedom. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me, and I will stand and sing, I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drowned my fears in perfect love. You rescued me, and I will stand and sing, I am a child of God. I just always thought it was interesting that they have just a random uh, changing of the lyrics in uh, the, the repetition of that part of the bridge where first it says, my fears were drowned in perfect love. And then the second time they say, you drowned my fears in perfect love. And I've always imagined that that was an oversight, but it's, <laughs> but it's there. Um, never understood why they changed the one line in the, in, in the repeat. Um, yeah. So this is my go-to song. When I talk about songs that, uh, talk about fear when it should be talking about sin. Um, and my go-to passage has always been in Romans six fifteen, uh, or Romans six fifteen through 23. When, uh, when it talks about, you know, I am no longer a slave to, f- to sin. Uh, I have become a slave to righteousness. Um, but when doing research for this particular podcast episode, I found another passage that actually close, more closely uh, resembles the, the song. I'm, I'll get back to that Romans 6 passage. But I'm going to jump to Galatians 4, 1 to 7. It says, um, this is right after the verse about, you know, there's no, uh, there's, there's no distinction, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female, there's no uh, Jew, there is no Greek. Um, and it goes into, uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's a, that's a phrase I want you to remember, the elementary principles of the world. But... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Notice it is sons, not children. It's important. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So that verse 7 is the, most, is the closest verse in the Bible uh, to this song. Um, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Um, I think if the song had said, we are no longer a slave to the elementary principles of the world, that, that would probably not be as catchy. And so they went with fear. Um, but it is important to note 
what the elementary principles of the world are. And that is outlined more in the first three chapters of Galatians. And essentially, it's false doctrine uh, in, in this particular context. There were a group of people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers taught that, um, that we needed not only to, be, uh, to have faith, but also to be circumcised and to follow the feasts and to follow the dietary restrictions. So it was a, it was a grace plus works um, salvation. And Paul condemned that particular branch of theology in the first three chapters of Galatians. And so in this particular context, um, we are no longer slaves to false doctrine. However, we are sons of God and heirs through God. Very important distinction than what this particular song makes out. Um, the song pulls from two primary passages, uh, not only from the Galatians, but also from the Exodus, just general story of the Exodus. In the Exodus, uh, that is a story of God delivering his people from actual slavery and giving them his law and his covenant. Uh, those are important. Uh, Galatians 4 is about uh, no longer being a slave to false doctrine because we are the sons and heirs of God. Uh, the Galatians passage has a lot of nuance, and it's important to understand that this specific passage, uh, that it is this specific passage referenced in the song. The, element, uh, the elementary principles of the world need to be understood as the false doctrine and disobedience of proper doctrine. Um, the Judaizers taught that false doctrine and, uh, and they gave a mandate that must be followed in order to be saved. It was grace plus works. So according to the Galatians passage, we are no longer slaves to the powers that drive false doctrine and lead us away from the proper teaching of the gospel. But we are instead sons and heirs of God. This is not to mean that we are loved by God, though there are many passages that do teach that or that we are comforted and protected by God as our father, though there are many passages that teach that as well. Rather, this passage is talking about our inheritance into the kingdom and the riches God will bestow upon us men and women as sons, according to the Jewish law. Um, and there's a lot more about this in Ephesians 1 as well. Um, the point of the passage, therefore, is to say that I am no longer a slave to the false gospel and the empty promises that it brings, but rather I am a son of God and an heir to the kingdom of God and all of the riches that it contains. Very similar passage is in the Romans 6 passage, and it's, it's a long passage, um, and uh, I'll, I'll skip reading it for now because we're really already far into this, um, where it says, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a slave to righteousness, uh, and I am a slave uh, to God. Uh, the term of slave... Uh, is the same term used in the Old Testament to describe someone who chose to be a slave because they loved their master and wanted to stay with him after their time of service was completed. Um, so slavery in the, in the Old Testament was different than kind of what the modern or Western view of slavery was. Because slaves were, because um, there's a command to release your slaves after so long. Once they either paid off a debt or once they served a certain amount of time, you're supposed to let them go. However, 
if they wanted to stay, they could. And, um, and that's what this passage is kind of talking about. It's pulling from that and the original audience would understand that term in the, in Romans. And, uh, so when they said, um, I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am rather, I am a slave to righteousness, uh, and a slave of God. Um, that meant that I'm choosing to be a slave of righteousness and I'm choosing to be a slave of God because that master is someone I want to stay with. Uh, and since the Bible is one story, uh, these two passages, the passage in Galatians and the passage in Romans can be used to interpret one another. Uh, since they are so similar, we can, we can test to see if they interpret and then we can see that they do. Uh, this is to say that being a slave of sin is similar to being a slave of false doctrine and being a slave to righteousness is similar to being an heir to the kingdom. Uh, thinking of all of this in the same lens, especially in the lens of, of Exodus, it reminds us that the Israelites were rescued from their literal bonds in order to be brought out under the care and the guidance of God, and also they are given the law and the covenant of God. Uh, they were taken from a master, offering them no hope, and they are given to a new master who is offering them eternal riches. Uh, all this to say that these passages are rich in doctrine, and they need to be parsed out in depth to be accurately interpreted. To boil it down, to mean that we are rescued from our fears so that we can be seen merely as children of God is an incredible understatement. So I wrote out that incredibly long passage, just to kind of point out just how short the song falls in, uh, in explaining, uh, it's biblical roots. Well, when it starts out with you unravel me, I mean, with a melody, with a melody, it doesn't have a lot of hope. I would no. say. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about the song, just in the construction of it, it's you unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song. Long pause of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Um, yeah. If you're writing a song and you're in the middle of a sentence, don't stop talking. Just keep going. <laughs> it, otherwise it's just confusing. Uh, word for all the sound writers out there. Word for all the songwriters out there. The not, not, not that yeah. this, this song, you know, this song was a hit, so I've never written. A oh hit. yeah. Um, I've never well, written a hit. So anyway, no, it's not going to happen. I don't want, I don't want that upon me. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm it's so beneath me writing a hit song. No, um, <laughs> I only write non cool. I only songs write non cool songs for hips. No, not even for hipsters. I write them just for my kids. Um, yeah, and so thinking about the Exodus story in, uh, and so all three of these these scriptures all say basically the same thing: we are rescued from our bonds, from a master that gives us no hope, from a doctrine that promises nothing, um, from our sin, which only destroys us. And we are given uh, the law and the covenant. We are given hope. We are given uh, a master who loves us. And not only that, but we are given the whole riches of the kingdom. We are given the same inheritance that Christ has given because we are heirs to the throne. And uh, 
not to say that we will rule in heaven, but that we are, we will be given the covenant blessings and understanding the covenant is important uh, to understanding those passages because we are given the covenant blessings, the eternal covenant blessings. And, uh, and that's just, the song doesn't, it just doesn't get that. Um, all, all that this song offers us is relief from our conditional fears. It doesn't promise salvation from our, uh, from our willful rejection. Um, and so ultimately it, it doesn't give a lot of hope. This song doesn't give us a lot of hope. It just gives us some self, a little bit of balm. A little bit of balm from Gilead. Not that balm. That's, Not that's, from this that's one. the good balm. Just the other kind, the other balm, <laughs> um, fake balm, fake balm. So my point one was quite long. I think we lost each other's connection twice while I was giving that. <laughs> um, it was so long. It's so long. So now I'm going to go drop the connection. So now I'm going to go to point two. Jesus isn't mentioned. Sin isn't mentioned. Bam. Done. Point two is over. Yeah. That was a good point. It was a good point. Jesus isn't mentioned. Sin isn't mentioned. God is mentioned. Um, and yeah. So anyway, uh, point number three, there's a lot of mystical language, a lot of mysticism going on. Um, and there's also some name it and claim it language. Like there's a line that says, let us sing our freedom. Um, it, that's just, I don't know. It's, it's like putting, I don't know. Like you could maybe, maybe argue that that's an Exodus 15 reference. And I'd be okay with that. That was my initial thing. But then, wouldn't he have put it after the you split the sea so I could walk right through it? Yeah. So we can sing our freedom. So we can sing about the freedom you gave to us. Yeah. It's just vague. It's just, there's a lot of vague language in this song. Um, and, uh, I just, it, it, I don't know. This song has just always irked me just how it doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't give the scriptural, um, it's scriptural base nearly enough time and attention that it, that it needs. Cause it's a, it's a very nuanced passage. Is this kind of some vague slavery Exodus type stuff? And, uh, it's inspired by, you know, yeah. Rather than rooted in. It's yeah. Like... Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little rough around the edges. Um, so you split the sea so I could walk right through it. I mean, yeah. And have you walked through any seas lately? Or I assume it's metaphorical. I assume it's metaphorical. Right. Um Yeah, I mean it's just also I, I don't know. Um it just it seems like it's not completely rooted. Like the those particular scriptures, the three scriptures mentioned, the the Exodus narrative, the passage in Romans, and the passage in Galatians, those are all really, really solid, very similar narratives that could really make a fantastic, uh, meshing. And I just, I just feel like it's mm-hmm. kind of like slap, uh, slapped together. Um, they, they, mm-hmm. they dropped, mm-hmm. they dropped the ball. They found a really good way, like a really good passage to, to focus on. I love when an old Testament, a new Testament passage can, can see, can, can mesh like that because they're mm-hmm. meant to. God wrote them so that you can see one and the other. And then it just kind of just doesn't. 
it just keeps it vague and, and doesn't it just doesn't doesn't do it, it doesn't close yeah i see what you mean it doesn't close the argument so right to speak. um anyway the song also really focuses on the performance of the song to to drive the emotionalism like uh melissa helzer uh she mm-hmm. like she channels her inner 80s love ballad uh self and just like belts out this last like octave jump in the in the bridge and uh a lot of people really like that but it hurts my ears mm-hmm. it hurts my ears <laughs> and i don't i think it sounds awful and it and especially when you're thinking of a type 1 song you don't need to be Joan Jett in a type one song. You know, you just, I don't know. It's just, it's just poor taste. That may be me just not being fair. I'm okay with that. I don't know. We could li- uh, link to a live version on YouTube and people can make their own determination. Yeah. And we are, uh, we are reinstating the, uh, the Spotify playlist. And I'm actually putting all 12 songs in the Spotify playlist. And we're just going to post it both weeks. Um, Okay. And Uh, yeah, we did get some requests uh, last time we did that to uh, also put it on, you know, all the other channels. And there is a service out there that will do that for you. Okay. Um, So we'll make sure for all y'all that um, we have, uh, we have, you know, Apple music and, um, just everything. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I haven't been on Slack. I have been, uh, social media distancing. <laughs> You've been doing that for a while, even before this whole coronavirus. Yeah, I have. I just, I'm just tired of social media. I'm just tired of it. Anyway. It's good for some things, especially, the Tech Reformation Slack channel. Yes. If you haven't joined up yet, please go to slack.techreformation.com to sign up. You'll receive an email, and then you can go to techreformation.slack.com to uh, log in and get involved and come join us in the Bomb and Gilead channel there. Yeah, and if you really want my opinion on something, just at... Uh... At Grant, uh, you can just get a hold of me. Yes, and say, and then, "Hey, Grant, ask Brian this," and then he'll text me, and I'll text him back, and then he'll post for me, and I'm okay with that. Okay, because I'm right. I'm social media distancing. That sounds complicated. We'll yeah, it's, try it. Though. It's just fine. We'll try it. Yeah, or you can email us at there is at balmcast.com. And we promise we will be getting to some of those emails, but have we gotten any? Uh, I haven't gotten them forwarded to me, so I've we well, we only have just those two. Just those but, two. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even read those yet. So. We love you, Karen. Yes, please. You know, write more. We we like our fans. Also, and you know Karen personally. I do. So that helps. Also, uh, I was looking at our comps today. Joel Osteen mm. is still number one, but Tim Keller is number two, followed by the Bible Project, mm. followed by someone I don't know, and mm. then followed by Joyce Meyer. And all the way at okay. the penultimate comp is the is the uh, the the uh, Joseph Smith one. So 
It's almost gone. Oh, so well, let's kick okay. those Mormons right. out and let's just keep yeah. sharing and liking and whatnot. But we still um, could use more than one review. So if you want to do yeah. a review, we will read it. And now, we would love that. Back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Um, so we're going to talk about this really horrifically written song called "In Christ Alone." Um, I love that song. It's a great song. It's actually one of the best songs written in our lifetime. Um, I am okay with saying that. But we're going to talk about verse 2, specifically written by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend. And then we're going to talk about the apocryphal bridge written by Christian Stanfield. Um, So, verse 2. Okay. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. So question one is Jesus mentioned. Yeah. Christ. Question two is sin mentioned. Uh, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Yes. Question three is fear mentioned. No. Why not? No, I, I don't, I don't see fear there. Does God not care about our fears? Um, no, no, this, this song in, in, and I'll tell you as well, ver- verses one, three, and four don't talk about fear either. Um, thankfully, um, sin is mentioned. As the reason for Jesus' death, as his death satisfied God's wrath, allowing him to bestow grace upon whom he chooses. Jesus is mentioned as being God, being scorned by man, being man's savior, dying on the cross and taking away my sin. I am mentioned as scorning God and finding life through Christ's death. Uh, this is one of the most powerful verses of the song. Um, it is mm. a fantastic verse. It it clearly lays out the gospel message in this particular verse. Specifically, the um, it, it talks about the passive obedience of Christ, and it hints at the active obedience of Christ, um, because Christ actively took on flesh. Um, and the he actively earned righteousness um, to be then given to us. So this song, especially this verse, is very well written, very, very faithfully describes Christ, describes sin, and puts me in a place of humility. This verse yeah. in the Passion Version of In Christ Alone uh, that, that um, Christian Stanfill recorded, is, passion. is eliminated. He erases this verse from the song. Um, this is the verse that talks about sin, that talks about the wrath of God. The rest of the song does not mention sin um, because it's talking about other things. It's talking about like the power of God and the glory of God and um, the resurrection of God and of Jesus. And so, uh, so yeah, so this, this is a hymn. It's a modern hymn. And so it, follows kind of that hymn structure, the, the greatness of God, the sin of man, the, um, 
the death and resurrection of Christ and the future glorification. Um, and so he cuts this verse. I have been told uh, that it was that by someone that thinks that the verse was cut because it uses the word babe um, and that they didn't want to use the word babe. And I, I too much of that Christmas reference. Yeah. Um, I reject that and say it's because it says the word sin. He cut it because this is a passion song and we don't want to talk about sin because no passion songs talk about sin. Just in case you or whoever wanted to know. <laughs> they could be counted like on, on one finger. Yeah. How many times they talk about sin. So instead of verse two, Christian Stanfill uh, adds a bridge. And this is the bridge. I find my strength. I find my hope. I find my help in Christ alone. When fear assails, when darkness falls, I find my peace in Christ alone. I give my life. I give my all. I sing my song to Christ alone. The King of Kings, the Lord I love, all heaven sings to Christ alone. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, I. Yes. It's a lot of you, noti- you noticed. There. You noticed that. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that in, in, in verse two, there is uh, two eyes, and one of them is the first letter of the word in. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only I that stands alone, so to speak, is here in the death of Christ, I live. Yes, um, which is almost the last word in the in the verse. Like it's the very tail end. Right. It's buried. It's buried. Um, yeah. The, I mean, the whole song of "In Christ Alone" focuses on Christ alone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the song title uh, "In Christ Alone." Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I wrote out four uh, four points. The bridge shifts the song's original focus away from Christ and places it on me. The, yep. the, Again, right on like oceans, mm-hmm. uh, it takes that and and again is is bringing out um, you know I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Right. I am the actor, and mm-hmm. Christ is um, something that's very helpful for me. Right in some unspecific way that has absolutely nothing to do with any sin or I may or may not have committed. Right. Uh, the bridge does not mention sin, but it does mention fear and darkness, both of which Mm. are vague externals, um, as opposed to sin, which is a concrete internal, which I've, I've gotten into that in previous episodes. Um, the bridge is not anchored to scripture like the original song, uh, but instead is based on feelings. And uh, choosing to remove verse 2 in favor of adding this bridge removes the most important part of the gospel message in favor of vague spirituality. So instead of in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. We have, I am finding my strength. I am finding my help, hope 
I find my help. Um, you know, we're, we're doing all these things, but then we, uh, it's almost ironic that we say in Christ alone, because wait a minute, who's doing the strengthening, right. the hoping and I'm, or, or the I'm finding, finding it. all these things. I'm not, I'm, not... I'm, I'm doing that. I'm giving this, I'm giving that I'm singing my song, you know, and it's not I'm even a drummer boy. It, it isn't even like my strength is given to me. My hope is given to me. My help is given to me by Christ alone. It's I'm finding mm. it. I just find mm. it in Christ. Christ is over there and I'm finding it. Um, I mean, even the way that these, that the sentence structure is um, in verse one of in Christ alone, this, the sentence structure is intentionally reversed in Christ alone. My hope is found. And he mm-hmm. does that on purpose so that Christ is mentioned before me. It's not my hope is found in Christ alone, which is the way that a normal sentence is structured. It's in Christ alone, my hope is found because he wanted to say Christ before me. Whereas the bridge is, you know, I find my hope in Christ alone, which places the emphasis on me, not on Christ. Exactly. So, and it also, I noticed, doesn't mention wrath. Right. No, doesn't mention wrath because that's not important. That's, you know, uh, what is it? The the Babylon B radio station, K-Wrath, um, <laughs> to rival K-Love because we need the negative, discouraging K-Wrath. Um, we need to find these and post those, but... Um, I I don't remember that one. I'm looking it up right now. Real time follow up. K Wrath. Man, I'm not. It, it may not be Babylon. Oh, is. oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Christian station K Wrath to emphasize God's justice, holy vengeance. There yeah. it is. Uh, it has thirty nine point one thousand shares, and it's going to get one more. One more. Uh that's. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the wrath of God, it's important. It's important to know uh, why Jesus died and why he paid it all. He paid it all because God's wrath needed to be satisfied because I can't just get into heaven. God just, God can't exist with sin. God and sin are, uh, they, they cannot exist together. If God came up to me, and I was in my sinful state, I would perish. That is why Isaiah flipped out when he saw God. Um, he said, what was me? For I am sinful. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so God forgave Isaiah. And therefore, because Isaiah was forgiven, he could be in the room with God. His wrath needed to be satisfied. So Christ died and that without that, without the wrath of God, you don't have the gospel. You just have vague spirituality. Um, yeah. And that's not serving anyone. Well, yeah. Um, so that is three and a half songs. Um, and we are pushing two hours. So, we should wrap this up. We only have eight more songs to get through, but we're not going to get through right now. Um, I will tell you which ones they are because uh, they're on the playlist anyway. We're going to talk about Fear is a Liar by Zach Williams. Fear is a liar. 
we are going to talk about You Got This by Love and the Outcome. We are going to talk about Not Today by Hillsong United. Hashtag Not Today, Satan. We are also going to talk about Good Grace by Hillsong United. We are not going to get to So Will I by Hillsong United. Stand in Your Love by Josh Baldwin. Raise a Hallelujah by Jonathan and Melissa Helzer. And Up Again by I Don't Remember Who Wrote It Because I Didn't Do the Research. Real-time follow-up. <laughs> um, Dan Bremis. Dan Bremis. That one? Yeah. Does uh, that sound familiar? Yeah. On the album Wherever I Go? Yeah, that's probably it. If not, we'll... We'll say it in next week's episode, which is not in two weeks, but is next week. And it is not episode 12. It is episode 11.2. So get with the picture. We are just breaking all sorts of rules. So part one (laughs) of episode 11 has been recorded, will be edited and released by the time you hear this. But as of right now, I've probably got a lot to cut. Um, and I'm now sleepy because it is 10.30, and I usually go to bed at 8. <sighs> yeah, I suppose we should probably call it a night, huh? Probably so. We could try to push through and keep recording, but that would probably be really, really bad for podcasting. <laughs> um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with that, I'm just going to say, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, Though the eye of sinful men thy glory may not see. There is a bomb in the eye to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the eye to heal the sin-sick soul. Never feel discouraged. for listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balm and Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.